So it's in the place, better. So it's in the place of prayer where we get to build a communion, a common union with God. Um, I usually tell people that the test of true spirituality comes down to two basic things. One is the study of the word of God. And the second one is prayer. The study of the word of God, God is talking to you. Prayer, you are talking to God. And that is how the communication happens. Now, um, one of the things I want to point out again is that, you know, Jesus Christ was talking to Israel, the Jews. The Jews were people who actually knew what prayer was about. And you will see in the scriptures from the Old Testament saints, you know, the depth of prayer, you know, their, their, their expression to God in prayer from Genesis to Revelation, to, to Revelation. In fact, from Genesis to Exodus, you know, Moses communicated with God in such a tight manner. You know, it felt like He was talking to God face to face. That's how the Bible described it. You know, Abraham, God said, would I do anything without informing my friend Abraham? You know, and you see all through the scriptures for the Old Testament saints, you know, they had a deep connection with God in the place of prayer. When you read through the book of Psalms, you know, you see the intensity of David's communication in prayer. However, you know, what had happened right now is that over the years, over the years, you know, their understanding of prayer had become watered down. Such that at the time of Jesus Christ, prayer had become a ritualistic, self-serving, you know, you know, thing. It was just a baseless, you know, religious activity. And Jesus Christ came at that point in time of history to say, hey guys, you know, prayer is something I need to inform you about. You have known, I have not come to do away with the law, I have come to fulfill the law. You knew what prayer is, now I'm going to give it new meaning to you. You understand? So Jesus Christ came to restore that place, our understanding of prayer. Yes. So, um, um, we are going to go through um, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to go through a little um, portion in Matthew chapter 6. And what we see is that in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6 is part of what scripture says, um, they call it the Olivet Discourse. So, you have Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. Where Matthew, who has already um, portrayed Jesus Christ as the king, you know, we see the king laying out the standards of his kingdom. You know, in Matthew chapter 5, what we see is Jesus Christ telling the Jews that, hey, your theology, your understanding of God is substandard. In Matthew chapter 6, we see it's split into two. The first part up to verse 18, I think, you know, tells them that their religious activity is substandard. From verse 19, Jesus Christ tells them that their um, understanding of material things, their attachment to materialism is also substandard. And focusing on 
their religious activities. If you look at scripture, he zeroes down on three things. The first one is their giving. The second one is prayer. The third one is in their fasting. For giving, he says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. For fasting, he says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. But for prayer, Jesus Christ says, don't do this, don't do this, but do that. It is very instrumental and it is, is it not even beautiful that God, knowing the importance of prayer, says, guys, this is how you should pray. He gives us a tool. So right now, we are going to go through, um, I don't know, can we put it up, please? Um, we're going to read from verse 5. I'm going to read from verse 5. And when we get to 9, we will all read it together, okay? Is that okay? Fantastic. Good. So from, from verse 5, um, Matthew 6, from verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions. That's the second do not. As the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. So verse 9, let's read. Our father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Amen. Amen. So the first thing I want to point out here is prayer is not optional. And why do I say that? Let's look at verse 5. There is a phrase that Jesus Christ introduces here. That phrase is, when you pray. When you pray. You see that phrase again in verse 6. You see that phrase again in verse 7. When you pray, when you pray, when you pray. So Jesus Christ is speaking with the presupposition that every child of God lives a life of prayer. It's almost like that is his assumption when he's communicating with them. So Jesus Christ did not say, if you pray. He said what? When you pray, for the child of God, it is a matter of when, not a matter of if. Prayer is supposed to be a daily, a continuous communicative channel. With who? With who? Come on, man. I said I like responses. With who? With God. With God. 
And that is the first thing that Jesus Christ points out. You know, it's so, it's so interesting, you know, that we see this again reflected in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, pray without ceasing. Pray and do not stop. That is the assumption. Every child of God cannot have a healthy relationship with God without prayer. Prayer is like you breathing in and, you know, oxygen and giving out CO2. That is how prayer is supposed to be. And we see Jesus Christ exemplifying it all through his life. All through his life. In Ephesians 6.18, I'm going to point this out again. Ephesians 6.18 says, Pray in the Spirit when? At all times. And why? On every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers. So you see that there is an injunction. There is, there is an injunction that every child of God should have a constant what? Prayer life. A steady prayer life. I think I've flogged that too much. Number two. What is prayer? From what we just read, we see that Jesus Christ does not tell us that there is a time of prayer. He can pray at any time. He does not tell us about the place of prayer. We have people in the Old Testament who would pray in the dungeon. We have people who would pray in the palace. We have people who would pray in the temple. We even had people who prayed in the belly of the fish. It is not a matter of place. The place is not important. The time is not important. It is a matter of you having it continuously with God. And you see, one of the things that we also see is that, you know, prayer is not speaking to... So in my, in my study, while I was preparing for this, you know, I found out that a lot of Christians, some form of Christians, right, you know, see prayer like it is a mystical thing, you know, like you're talking to some force, right, in the, in the, in the universe. That is not prayer. It is not... Prayer is not you addressing demons, you know, or speaking to, to the devil or addressing situations in your life. That is not prayer. Prayer is what? Talking to God. Prayer is when your entirety, your consciousness is focused and riveted on one individual. And that person is God. I just wanted to stress that out. The third thing I want to point out is that prayer is to God, whom Jesus Christ stressed is our Father. Let's go back to uh, Matthew chapter 6. I want to point this out to you. We see verse 6. He introduces the term, the phrase there, your Father. And then we have again in verse 6, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And we see in verse 8, therefore do not be like them. For what? Your father. So in this space, in this short space of, you know, uh, of communication, he introduces the fatherhood of God three times, stressing on it. He introduces the fatherhood of God. So you see, 
and, and this is one of the things that Jesus Christ really introduced or re-highlighted to the Jews. The Jews had a sense of the fatherhood of God. But all through the Old Testament, I cannot remember one, all through the Old Testament, you would not see a situation or an expression where God was made a personal father. God was more or less a father in a nationalistic sense. Let me give you an example. So, if you go to Isaiah chapter 64, you know, where Isaiah was praying so uh, passionately to God about the sins of Israel and all that. You know, from verse 5, he says, You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. You are indeed angry. That's talking about God. God is angry. For we have sinned, Israel. Um, verse 6, For we all are like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. 7, And there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us. So this was actually a desperate time that Isaiah was praying to God about. But then we see in verse 8, But now, O Lord, what? You are our father. So their understanding of God was, of the fatherhood of God was more of a nationalistic sense. And Jesus Christ comes at a time in history and says, hey, God is not just the God of the nation. God is your God, your father, your father, your father. Jesus Christ wanted them to have that personalized sense of the fatherhood of God. And we see that in, in the Lord's Prayer, that is actually what he introduces. He says what? Our Father. That is not a prayer. That is a declaration. That means that when you come before God, you must come before God with an understanding, with your mind framed, fully understanding that what you are coming before your Father. It is something that you need to have complete understanding about. Your mentality needs to be wrapped and surrounded with that understanding that you're showing before God and God is what? Your father. And God being my father, God being your father has a lot of import. It has a lot of implications. The first thing is that, you know, one of the things is that it means that as a father, he what? Loves you. We talk a lot about the goodness of God. God is good. As a father, he wants to interact with you. As a father, he has your interest. He's got your back. As a father, he is all out, right, to, to, to do you good. We always emphasize that. And that is true. And that needs to be settled deep down in our hearts, in our minds. God is not some remote personality. But the second thing I want to flip on is that we also have a responsibility to the fatherhood of God. In Malachi, 
you know, I remember a place in Malachi where um, God was, um, where, where God was talking to, to the priests through the prophet Malachi. And he says, I think I wrote it down somewhere. Um, do you have it flashed up there? Okay, good. So, there he was talking about, he says, if I am a father, where is my honor? If I am your master, fantastic. If I am a master, where is my, uh, where is it now? Reverence, thank you very much. Yeah, that gives an indication of our responsibility to the fatherhood of God. As a father, we need to honor him. As a father, we need to obey him. As a father, we need to submit to him. That is the understanding. That is what your mind needs to be enwrapped with when you come to the presence of God in prayer. Praise the Lord. Thank you very much. That's test number one. <laughs> All right. So, um, so like I said, you know, so this prayer, you know, a lot of times then, you know, I, I feel very pained, you know, about the fact that people take this prayer, you know, in face value. This prayer, it is a tragedy that People see this as a prayer that they put at the end, you know, something that they recite. Jesus Christ did not mean for it to be recited. In Luke, where the disciples spoke to him about praying, what they said was, Lord, teach us to pray. Their request was not, teach us a prayer. Teach us to pray. And when we read this, you know, Matthew chapter 6, where we just read, he said, in this manner. So we see that this prayer is supposed to be a pattern. It is supposed to be a pattern. It is supposed to be a framework that should be adopted to have an enriching prayer life. It is not just one that should be recited. Meaning that when we pray, our prayers should be wrapped around all the different elements that shows up in this prayer. I wrote down something. I, I wish you can pay attention. Just listen. How we are to pray is totally, generally, specifically, and comprehensively covered in this one simple prayer of 66 brief words. It is an absolute masterpiece of the infinite mind of an all-wise God who could somehow encompass the totality of every conceivable element in prayer and reduce it to one simple pattern of prayer. It is the economy of words that only God himself, with his infinite mind, could ever have come up with. That is what this prayer is. It is not just meant to be recited. And when you look at this prayer, you know, you can see it from different dimensions. In fact, when I was studying on this prayer, you know, and I was sharing in my life group some, some days back, you know, it, it comes in different packages. In this prayer, you can see the relationship with God in this prayer. Our father talks about a father-son relationship. And the word there are reflects a brotherhood relationship, meaning that even though God is my father, I also have a relationship with what? Brothers. 
That is the relationship. Another relationship that we see is that hallowed be the name. That is a deity worshiper relationship. Deity meaning a God. That is a relationship that is reflected there. Thy kingdom come reflects a king and subject relationship. Thy will be done reflects a master and servant relationship. Give us this day our daily bread reflects what a provider and beneficiary relationship. And forgive us our trespasses reflects a savior and a sinner relationship. Lead us not into temptation reflects a guide and a follower relationship. That is, if you want to look at it from that direction, it is multidimensional. Let me tell you again something else. It also tells us about our attitude in prayer. The spirit by which, you know, we are supposed to show up before God ah, reflects a selfless spirit. You know, you see, a lot of times when we come before God, we are so focused on our personal pronouns. I, 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 me, 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 my, my, my. And you, and you understand that all through this prayer, it is our, our, us, our, our, us. There is no personal pronoun in this prayer. It reflects that when we come before God, we should not just come to God thinking about ourselves. We need to come before God with a mentality, with a mindset of the whole. Because there is what? A brotherhood. There is what? A brotherhood. The, the, the passage I, I, I highlighted before in Ephesians said something that we should pray all the time to God on every occasion. For who? For all saints. For all saints. In prayer, prayer is not a time to reflect our selfishness. Prayer is a time where we consider others, the brotherhood. That is, that is an attitude that we should come to God with in prayer. Another attitude, Father, you know, that's a family spirit. Hallowed be thy name, that's a reverent spirit. Thy kingdom come, that's a loyal spirit because there's a king involved. Loyalty must be in the picture. Thy will be done, a submissive spirit. Give us this day a dependent spirit. And forgive us, that is a penitent spirit. Lead us not into temptation, that is a humble spirit. Thine is the kingdom, it's a confident spirit. Thy power and the glory is a triumphant spirit. In fact, it's reflected in one of the songs that we sang today. That is just one angle. Another angle, it reflects God's perspective. Our Father, that's God's paternity. Hallowed be thy name. That's God's priority. Thy kingdom come, that's God's program. Thy will be done, that's God's purpose. Give us this day, that's what God's provision. And forgive our debts, that's what God's pardon. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, that's God's protection. For thine is thy kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. That reflects God's preeminence. This is just three aspects. And you can go on and on, you know, in studying the word of God to see the depths, the richness in this prayer of 66 words that is just summarized. Meaning that when we pray, you know, our minds need to have an entirety, an encompassing of all the messages that is locked up in this simple prayer. 
This prayer also reflects who God is. God is a father. God is a king. God is a master. As a father, he gives us our daily bread. As a king, he forgives us our debts and pardons us. You know, this, this, this line reminds me of the parable that Jesus Christ gave about the unforgiving servant. I don't know how many of you remember it. Where there was this servant who was owing the king, and the king wanted, and that servant went before the king and pleaded. The king forgave the servant, but that servant went out and held his colleagues. As a king... He what? Forgives us. As a master, he leads us not into temptation. This is another dimension to look at this prayer. And when you look at this prayer, so we see, we have established that, you know, the, the first thing we need to come to God with is an understanding of his fatherhood. That we are coming to God who is our father. That, I would say, is like the foundation of a building. Let that be established. And on that foundation, you can now build, you can now lay your prayers on it. And we found out that that prayer is split into two parts. Two parts. Each part has three prayers. The first prayer in the Lord's Prayer is what? What is the first prayer in the Lord's Prayer? Ah, okay, good. So, the first prayer in the Lord's Prayer is what? Hallowed be your name. You see that the first prayer is a prayer for God to God. It is not a prayer to God for man. You are praying to God for God. You are praying that his name be what? Hallowed. The second prayer is what? Thy kingdom come. The third prayer is what? Thy will be done. And you see that these three prayers together splits the prayer into two. Where this first three is focused on the glory of God. So your prayer, the purpose of prayer is for the glory of God. And then you see that the last three focuses on man's needs. The first one is what? Give us this day our daily bread. Oh my goodness. You see, when I was, I was studying this thing, you know, my, my, my mind blew. Because I found out that locked up even in the needs of man, there is a recognition of the dim- multidimensionality. Did I get that word right? Multidimensionality of God. Let me paint it. Let me show you. Let me just show you something very, very briefly. Very, very quickly. He said, give us this day our daily bread. That is for physical sustenance. Everything that has to do with our physicality. It's not just about food, about clothing, about house, about shelter, about everything that we need. The second one says what? And forgive us our trespasses. That is something that has to do with our emotions. Because when your sins are forgiven, the pain of guilt goes away. So we see God 
being able to take care of our physical needs, the body. We see God being able to take care of our emotional needs, the soul. And the last one, you see what? Lead us not into temptation. Where God keeps us from sinning, and that is what? Our spiritual man. So you see God being able to take care of our body, soul, and spirit. Taking care of our physical needs, taking care of our emotional needs, taking care of our spiritual needs. If you look at that part of the prayer, you see, give us this day. What is the tense of that statement? It's in the present tense. And forgive us our debt. It's in the past. You forgive what has happened in the past. And lead us is what? In the future. So we see a God who not only takes care of our physical needs, our soulish needs, our spiritual needs, but takes care of our past, present, and future. That is the multidimensionality of God. And that is what is locked up in this small prayer. We should not see this prayer as something that is meant to be recited. Praise the Lord. Okay, you pass that again. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So you see that the first, the purpose of prayer then is what? To establish the glory of God. Where you're praying down his will, where you're praying down his kingdom, where you're praying down his what? That his name be what? Hallowed. And let me dwell on that just a little bit. Just a little bit. You see, one more thing that I observe that this prayer does, it, it defines what heaven is. From this prayer, what is heaven? Heaven is a place where God's name is hallowed. Heaven is a place where God's kingdom exists, where the influence of the king is felt. Heaven is a place where his will is done. You see, that first line says, Our Father who were at in heaven, that is an established foundation. Hallowed be your name, that's the first pillar. Thy kingdom come, the second one. Thy will be done, that's the third pillar. And we see that in that prayer, heaven is defined. In fact, let me point out something else to you. You see, when I was studying about this, you know, I found out that this prayer encodes in it a Hebraic parallelism. There is a parallelism that is encoded in this prayer. Now, let me point that out to you. I used to think that thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven was attached to thy will be done. But I found out that on earth as it is in heaven is used for all the three that precedes it. So the prayer is, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name in heaven, on earth, sorry, as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it is what? In heaven. That is a Hebraic parallelism. You know, which God, God's mind is too much. And you see that, again, you see, this prayer is so deep. So when you are praying, when you're coming before God, you are focused on what, on what He wants. What He wants is for His name to be hallowed. 
for his kingdom to come in the hearts of men. For his will to be done on earth. You know, it pains me a lot when I go to the social media and I watch the news and I see how people blatantly trust their thumbs at God, you know, and the wicked things that they say to him. It aches me deep down. We pray for his will to be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. Praise the Lord. Let me read a few lines here so that it doesn't look like I'm not re- consulting this thing. So, so we see, and I'm going to, um, excuse me, please. So we see again, prayer is for God. It is not for us. It is meant for the glory of God. We cannot pray properly in regards to our own human situation until God is put in his proper place. It is only when God is put in his proper place that prayer even makes any sense. Prayer begins with God's glory and ends with it and everything in between is about him. In fact, let me show you guys something again. You see, when I was um, looking at the, 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 the prayer, the part of the prayer that dwells on the needs of man. You know, my mind went to something else. Let's go to Psalm 23. If you have your Bibles there, I don't know if I gave it to, to, the, to the multimedia. Let's go to Psalm 23. Psalm 23, verse 1 to 6. It says what? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So this is David making a declaration, you know, about God taking care of his needs, his physical needs, of his needs as a man. He says, I shall not want. Now listen, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. That is referring to his physical needs. He restores my soul. That refers to his what? Soulish needs. His emotional needs. He leads me in the path of righteousness. That refers to what? His spiritual needs. So you see here again, you see here again, in this prayer, the entirety of God meeting all our needs is also locked up here. And why does he do all of this? Why does he do all of this? The Bible says in verse 3, the end of verse 3 says, for his name's sake. So God attends to our needs, physical, soulish, spiritual needs, for his own glory. That is the purpose. So at the end of the day, you see, when you're coming before God, you know, and, and, and you have to, to, to pray for a need, it is not for you to have that need met. It is for God to be glorified as a result. It is for God to be glorified as a result. It is not for you to have that house or to have that car. It is for God to be glorified that what? He is a provider. 
That is the mentality with which we come before God in prayer. So you see, again, prayer starts with an understanding of the fatherhood of God. And everything that it implies. And it builds on that to pray down what God wants. And that even when we pray for what for our needs, it is again back to his glory. And it ends again with his glory. So everything, everything is about God. Everything is about God. Everything is about God. Prayer, so I'm going to give you a quote from, um, I saw this on, online and I felt it was very important. You know, John Piper said this. He says, the key to praying with power is to become the kind of persons who do not use God for our ends but are utterly devoted to being used for his ends. Prayer is not an attempt to get God to agree with you or provide for your selfish desires, but that it is both an affirmation of his sovereignty, righteousness, and majesty, and an exercise to conform your desires and purpose to his will and glory. That is the purpose of prayer, where our will, everything about us, aligns with God for his glory, for his glory, for his glory. That is the purpose of prayer. I want to encourage us, you know, when we pray, you know, let's take this and let's build on it. You know, as we go home, you know, in our daily lives, let us build on this. And I'm sure, and I I don't want to, you know, just to be oblivious of the fact that there are persons here who do not have a relationship with God. You see, God cannot be your father until Jesus Christ comes into the picture in your life. Jesus Christ is the one who facilitates that fatherhood relationship, father-son relationship with God. And if you do not know God, if you do not know God, I beg of you today, today is the day of salvation for you. Just reach out to God in prayer and say, God, forgive me. And the truth is that he has forgiven you. But you need to reach out to him. And you need to repent. Stop doing those evil things. Stop doing, stop and turn from your wicked ways. That's what the Bible says. The purpose of prayer is for God's glory. Let's bow our heads. Oh, Father, Lord God, your word is right. Your word is so enriching. Father, may this stir our hearts up into a much more beneficial and rewarding relationship with you, Heavenly Father. May we have you in our hearts where our will, our desires are aligned with yours. In Jesus' name. Thank you.